Chapter 19 of Journey to the Center of the Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Journey to the Center of the Earth by Chilvan. Chapter 19 The Western Gallery. A New Route. Our descent was now resumed by means of the second gallery. Hans took up his post in front as usual. We had not gone more than a hundred yards when the professor carefully examined the walls. This is the primitive formation. We are on the right road. Onwards is our hope. When the whole earth got cool in the first hours of the world's morning, the diminution of the volume of the earth produced a state of dislocation in its upper crust, followed by ruptures, crevices, and fissures. The passage was a fissure of this kind, through which ages ago had flowed the eruptive granite. The thousand windings and turnings formed an inextricable labyrinth through the ancient soil. As we descended successions of layers composing the primitive soil, appeared with the utmost fidelity of detail. Geological science considers this primitive soil as the base of the mineral crust, and it has recognized that it is composed of three different strata or layers, all resting on the immovable rock known as granite. No mineralogists had even found themselves placed in such a marvellous position to study nature in all her real and naked beauty. The sounding rod, a mere machine, could not bring to the surface of the earth the objects of value for the study of its internal structure, which we were about to see with our own eyes, to touch with our own hands. Remember that I am writing this after the journey. Across the streak of the rocks, colored by beautiful green tints, wound metallic threads of copper, of manganese, with traces of platinum and gold. I could not help gazing at these riches, buried in the entrails of Mother Earth, and of which no man would have the enjoyment to the end of time. These treasures, mighty and inexhaustible, were buried in the morning of the Earth's history, at such awful depths that no crowbar or pickaxe will ever drag them from their tomb. The light of our Ruhmkorff's coil, increased tenfold by the myriad of prismatic masses of rock, sent its jets of fire in every direction, and I could fancy myself travelling through a huge hollow diamond, the rays of which produced myriads of extraordinary effects. Towards six o'clock this festival of light began sensibly and visibly to decrease, and soon almost ceased. The sides of the gallery assumed a crystallized tint with a sombre hue. White mica began to commingle more freely with feldspar and quartz, to form what may be called the true rock, the stone which is hard above all, that supports without being crushed the four stories of the earth's soil. We were walled by an immense prison of granite. It was now eight o'clock, and still there was no sign of water. 
The sufferings I endured were horrible. My uncle now kept at the head of our little column. Nothing could induce him to stop. I, meanwhile, had but one real thought. My ear was keenly on the watch to catch the sound of a spring. But no pleasant sound of falling water fell upon my listening ear. But at last the time came when my limbs refused to carry me longer. I contended heroically against the terrible tortures I endured, because I did not wish to compel my uncle to halt. To him I knew this would be the last fatal stroke. Suddenly I felt a deadly faintness come over me. My eyes could no longer see. My knees shook. I gave one despairing cry and fell. Help! Help! I am dying! My uncle turned and slowly retraced his steps. He looked at me with folded arms, and then allowed one sentence to escape in hollow accents from his lips. All is over! The last thing I saw was a face fearfully distorted with pain and sorrow, and then my eyes closed. When I again opened them, I saw my companions lying near me, motionless, wrapped in their huge travelling rugs. Were they asleep or dead? For myself, sleep was fully out of the question. My fainting fit over, I was wakeful as the lark. I suffered too much for sleep to visit my eyelids, the more that I thought myself sick unto death, dying. The last words spoken by my uncle seemed to be buzzing in my ears. All is over. And it was probable that he was right. In the state of prostration to which I was reduced, it was madness to think of ever again seeing the light of day. Above were miles upon miles of the earth's crust. As I thought of it, I could fancy the whole weight resting on my shoulders. I was crushed, annihilated, and exhausted myself in vain attempts to turn in my granite bed. Hours upon hours passed away. A profound and terrible silence reigned around us, a silence of the tomb. Nothing could make itself heard through these gigantic walls of granite. The very thought was stupendous. Presently, despite my apathy, despite the kind of deadly calm into which I was cast, something aroused me. It was a slight but peculiar noise. While I was watching intently, I observed that the tunnel was becoming dark. Then, gazing through the dim light that remained, I thought I saw the Icelander taking his departure, lamp in hand. Why had he acted thus? Did Hans the guide mean to abandon us? My uncle lay fast asleep, or dead. I tried to cry out and arouse him. My voice, feebly issuing from my parched and fevered lips, found no echo in that fearful place. My throat was dry, my tongue stuck to the root of my mouth. The obscurity had by this time become intense, and at last even the faint sound of the guide's footsteps 
was lost in the blank distance. My soul seemed filled with anguish, and death appeared welcome. Only let it come quickly. Hans is leaving us, I cried. Hans, Hans, if you are a man, come back. These words were spoken to myself. They could not be heard aloud. Nevertheless, after the first moments of terror were over, I was ashamed of my suspicions against a man who hitherto had behaved so admirably. Nothing in his conduct or character justified suspicion. Moreover, a moment's reflection reassured me. His departure could not be a flight. Instead of ascending the gallery, he was going deeper down into the gulf. Had he had any bad design, his way would have been upwards. This reasoning calmed me a little, and I began to hope. The good and peaceful and imperturbable Hans would certainly not have arisen from his sleep without some serious and grave motive. Was he bent on a voyage of discovery? During the deep, still silence of the night, had he at last heard that sweet murmur about which we were all so anxious. End of chapter 19 Read by Lars Rolander